What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode 14 of Beyond Podcast. We got a fucking doozy today. That's right. I am cursing because this one's a great one. We got Slow Burn on the podcast. That is the nomadic restaurant run by Tiffany Ortiz and Andy Dubrava. Uh, Most people, I think, in the fine dining world know Andy Dubrava from being the chef, longtime chef at Rustic Canyon out in California, Jeremy Fox's restaurant. But when I found Slow Burn, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is insane. This is like like a punk band just doing a DIY, (laughs) shove the kitchen in the van, just fucking find a city, find a venue, find a place to play. They make a menu the night of. They fucking knock the fucking doors down and then they fucking pack up the band and they leave to a different city the next day. I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, they put out this like full-on tour poster and I was like, what the fuck? This looks like a band. This is wild. And that's what it is. They literally just pack up the van and they play a quote-unquote show uh, with food. It's fucking great. But I, I, I really appreciate that. But they do it with such like a grounded perspective. They're very much everything I love about the food industry and the people in the food industry, like people who drive themselves to do this sort of quality of food or try to drive for a very unique vision, some sort of specific idea, some goal in mind. They're very humble about it and they have a lot of perspective about what they're doing. And on top of that, they're like just smart about sharing and learning because that's what makes this community great. There are certain certain people that don't want to give up their secrets or or that they keep what they do very tight-lipped and uh, how they run their businesses. And then there's some people who just uh, who say, this is the way we do it, and that's the only way we're ever going to do it. But they don't do that. They're, I'll let them explain it, but their perspective on that sort of, on what they're doing is, is very, very smart, very grounded, and I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, they also seem to have some of, the, some of the same sorts of gripes that I have about the food industry and and the way that, that like restaurants expand or the number of seats that restaurants have, you know, wages, you know, a farmer support and can a, can a restaurant be supported by what's available and are you using what's available around you, that sort of thing. But they're doing it in a much smarter way, but they're actually trying to do something different as opposed to just complaining like, like I'm doing or just talking about it on a podcast. They're actually getting out there and like changing shit. And, uh, they're like building a restaurant just from scraps, which is, I think is incredible. Not only because it's a great idea because the amount of food waste in the industry and in cocktails alone is, is, is crazy. Uh, there's, there's enough to make a restaurant on that alone. But on top of that, it's, I don't think most common people or people who go to restaurants a lot and have the money to spend on restaurants realize how much waste there is. And they also don't realize how delicious food waste is that's amazing. And that's what they're, that's what they're trying to do. Just build the restaurant from, from the ground up with, with trash. <laughs> it's fucking, it's fucking awesome. I love, I love everything about it. It's, it's, it's the, that sort of mentality is I've, I've, I've talked to a few people like that and I've, I've sort of been thinking in the same vein for a while in terms of like how, what's going on with restaurants. Why can't they pay more? And then that makes me think about the way the restaurants are structured and why they're structured that way and why I'm getting fucking shafted as a line cook, but I'm doing most of the work and like, why is all this money going down the tubes? You know, like, um, just, just thinking about all these different things. And then they come along and they're like trying to like, trying to actually do it. But what I hope is happening is, is that I hope we're kind of on the verge of like a shift in restaurants and restaurant culture. I mean, as, 
as Andy says in this, like restaurants have to change because of, you know, climate change and, and the fact that it's not sustainable. But but I hope it's I hope it's on the verge of changing right now because so many interesting people doing interesting things, trying to get around the way that restaurants are structured and how they're run. And I'm really excited to see in the next like three to five years how things sort of shift. It's the one little bit of positivity in my brain that I'm like, man, this thing is this restaurant industry, the new people coming into it are really trying to shift and change what the fuck is happening and how things run. It's really exciting to see. They're not just going like, let's open another restaurant. I'm sure there are people like that, but the people in my view are just like, just trying to absolutely change the way the restaurants run. And, um, and it's, it's really exciting to see. I mean, we sort of have the same sort of uh, like perspectives on interesting, interesting restaurants. You know, we talk about Black Axe Mangle, which is a restaurant run by Lee Tiernan, who was the chef at St. John's for a while. And if you don't know St. John's, it was run by, by Fergus Henderson in, in London. And uh, it got famous for this book called Nose to Tail Eating. And he literally, he does like have everything nose to tail on the menu. And the idea behind that was like, if you're going to butcher a pig, then you should be using, utilizing all of it. But, uh, Lee Tiernan took that and put it into a black axe mangle and kind of just like add this punk rock element to it where it's just got, it's just got like a few seats. They're blasting metal the whole time. And most of the food comes off of a, a brick oven and he's using like, you know, lamb hearts and beef hearts and things like that. And, and, and adding this, uh, environment to it that, that doesn't make it, uh, pretentious if there's just a bunch of fucking dirty line cooks back there and it, and it tastes good i don't know i'm trying to say restaurants don't need to be this pretentious thing even though they're doing really high class high trash as they say in in this podcast high trash food it can be it can be casual and just like keep things you know punk rock and down to earth man i mean more times can i fucking say punk rock in this intro huh it's, and that alone relieves the stress of people who are working there because it's not so fucking tight, you know? It's not ELM or any of that shit. It's casual, you know? You're having fun, and I think you produce better food that way. Uh, but if it, if it sounds like I'm rambling in this intro, then it's because of my allergies. So I'm going to blame it on that. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like that wasn't coherent at all. Anyway, um, as usual, check out the magazine, peonmagazine.com. And all the links and shit, but we're not even going to fucking hype up that shit. We're going to be talking about everything slow burn because they deserve every bit of fucking support. So definitely follow them on Instagram at we are slow burn. That's where they're going to, you know, put up all their stuff, any sort of tour information, uh, dinner information, all that kind of stuff. So definitely follow them there and then go to their website. We are slow They got uh, some stuff from their larder on there, uh, which you can grab. And, um, they've also got some merch. They just brought a, uh, some new merch with their new logo on there. I'm definitely gonna get some of that after I finish this podcast. And, um, if you can't support them on tour, which I'll get into in a second, there's also other options, which, uh, Tiffany talks about in this, there's tons of options. And I, and I love that they're not just like, okay, here's tickets. If you can't get tickets, then fuck you. There's tons of options to, you know, pay it forward, help other people, or just support them in some other way, support farmers and things like that. So definitely listen. Um, you'll hear uh, Tiffany talk about that in the podcast. She'll do a better job than I can at explaining it. And then uh, also on their website is their, and and their Instagram is their their tour dates. If you haven't been in Austin, they will be coming uh, March 19th 
which I believe is a Sunday. Yeah, it is a Sunday. Uh, they are coming to the Maiden studio. I think they're going to be doing a little dinner there. And then on Wednesday, the 22nd, uh, yeah, Wednesday, the 22nd of March, they're going to be at MRI doing a shared a la carte, I believe. And um, more information about, about that will be coming up soon. The tour dates are locked in, but keep an eye on their Instagram and uh, my Instagram for any information about that. If you're in, in Austin, definitely come out, definitely support them. And then they got dates all over the country. They're coming to Oklahoma City in April, 6th through the 9th. They're going to be in Livingston, Montana on the 21st through the 26th of April. Then they're going to San Francisco in May, St. Helena, California in May. Then they're going back to California, Los Angeles, uh, Venice. They're going to be in Nashville in August and uh, and then they're finishing off in Detroit in uh, November. Um, I'm sure they'll add more dates. Keep an eye out. Like I said, follow them on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, definitely give them a follow. Definitely buy that merch. And hopefully soon they'll get the high trash shirts going. I got to get them going on that. If not, I got to start printing them for them and then just give them all the proceeds because that that's a great tagline, high trash. All right. Um, enjoy this podcast share like rate all that shit it helps out believe me and uh yeah i hope you enjoy it later how are you doing thanks for asking us on here oh thanks for thanks for coming on i really appreciate it you guys are you guys are doing something amazing i'm glad i can just talk to you guys uh yeah i'm doing all right just been hanging out in the garden all day doing some writing and stuff. How about you guys? We just drove up the coast a little bit. We're shopping around for storage units because we're officially living on the road for the next eight months. So oh yeah, no use yeah. for an apartment anymore. Yeah. So wait, are you guys on the West Coast right now? You're in you're in LA or in LA, LA? Yeah. yeah. We just got back okay. from our tour of Canada, recalibrating for a couple of weeks, and then we're back on the road again. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you guys headed? Um, so we're talking to Texas right now. We had a couple of things that fall through. So we decided to reach out to some people who are on our wait list to get us out to wherever they are. And so we might be doing Tucson and Texas. If you guys need contacts in Austin, I mean, let me know. Uh, I know a bunch of people. We would I've love actually to. never been, so. Oh yeah? Are you guys passing through Austin or are you guys just looking at any place in Texas really? Um, we're talking to a couple of restaurant groups out there. None of them are finalized oh, cool. just yet. We're usually okay. more of a beneficial parasite to other restaurants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what we do okay. is offer them passive income on days that they aren't operational yeah. uh, by doing our own events and giving them a cut or, you know, um, or cut up the bar. We always just kind of keep it flexible. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Do you guys utilize any of their food waste? Because I know that's that's your, your main focus, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been different at every stop. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll ask a restaurant to like save their coffee grinds or something, or we'll use their whey if they make a lot of cheese. But uh, it really oh, nice. changes yeah. 
every time we stop somewhere. Yeah. These collaborative events are super fun too, because then we get to go shopping in somebody else's larder and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Training right. Secrets That's in awesome. a way, um, and cause it's kind yeah. of hard to travel with some of our ferments and stuff like that. So there's always those kind of perks. And then sometimes we also team up with local zero proof Bev people or bartenders and they utilize our food waste or their own food waste to do cocktail pairings for our, you know, higher end tasting menus and stuff. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. Fun. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I usually just start at the beginning. Like how did you guys get into uh, the food industry and, and why? I'll go first. Do you remember that, <laughs> yeah, that first job? <laughs> I moved to New York when I was, uh, I think I was 13 years old and ended up working in a pizza place was just, it was just kind of the closest thing to home yeah. at that point. And I ended up working there all throughout high school and then on and off during college. I tried to do a couple different things as far as careers go, but didn't quite work out. So I ended up going to cooking school, which is actually where I met Tiff. Wait, what do you mean it didn't work out? Like you didn't really enjoy the environment or? I have dropped out of college times, I think. Um, <laughs> I went oh, okay. for... Uh, English, like uh, critical thinking and, and writing. Okay. Yeah. And then I went for music production because um, I've played the drums for a long time, um, play a couple oh, of nice. instruments okay. and really enjoyed recording bands when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just, yeah, lost interest. And eventually one of my coworkers convinced me to go to cooking school and it was the first time since high school that I really finished something Yeah, and kind of just poured myself into it for the following 15 years. And here we are. Do you, do you remember why, why that specifically like caught your, I guess it's a question for both of you. Do you remember exactly why that sort of clicked for you? Like yeah. cooking in, in general, because it's, it's a very, uh, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast about it, but it's very controlling. And I feel like it, it does offer some direction, but also it, it, there's a lot of chaos to it that people seem to enjoy. How, how do you guys feel about it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely love chaos as long as I'm the one in control <laughs> of it. So I yeah, gravitated it. towards that career eventually. Um, for me, it was more of a natural role because I'm a Latina woman. So we yeah. often try to take care of the people around us. And one of the ways that we show love and affection is through cooking and through food and doing it together. Mm -hmm. So um, even though my kind of career trajectory was more towards um, American history and becoming a professor, I eventually gravitated towards cooking because it felt like something more, more in line with my personality. And uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of something that people fall into. I don't think kids grow up. True, yeah. They're going to be chefs. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe today, I think it's more of like a thing that people what see. Like, yeah, back in the day, it was like before chef, you know, famous chefs were a thing. It was like, it was like something you fall into. Yeah. Yeah. Just happen to end up getting a job and you like it and you like the people. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was yeah. like I always, throughout high school um, and college, just, you know, if there was a gathering of people, I always ended up being the one to like grill burgers or, or make something to eat. Um, and it was yeah. never like good stuff, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you start kind of 
thinking about your life when you're working a dead end job as like a 23 year old and you're like, I got to figure something out <laughs> that I might be, you know, yeah. kind of good at. Sure. So it's pursue. Yeah. Did you feel like connection to the restaurant industry? Is that why you went to culinary school or like you said, it was just something you wanted to fall into? Like were you guys tapped into like whatever like cookbooks were going on at the time or like food shows or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely watched a little bit of like food network growing up, but I don't think that was any, okay. had any. No. Yeah. See, I'm the no. opposite. And you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> opposite. Andy often has to tell me who people are, where they're from, what they do, because I'm just blissfully unaware of what's going on out there. As far as like the food network is concerned, I've definitely done things with the food network, but I, I haven't really like grown up with that kind of like, Oh, I'm going to watch this show or anything like that yeah except i think good eats is the the grand exception for a lot yeah, of chefs good sure. eats is oh yeah <laughs> great one. Yeah. that show is amazing yeah that yeah. show is incredible yeah how did you how did you how did you guys both like cooking school did you guys go to pretty prestigious ones or did you go to like escoffier or like so we actually met at the french culinary institute the original location oh, wow. Over um, in Soho in New York City. Um, New York City is where I'm from. Uh, spent some time in New Jersey as well, but I grew up in New York City and was born there. And it just kind of felt good to and safe to go to school somewhere closer to home. Uh, and that's where yeah. I met Andy. I transferred into his class. And we were oh, pretty nice. much like the only two alternative looking people. <laughs> I had a rat tail. We were both covered in tattoos. <laughs> we, we both smoked cigarettes and liked LCD sound systems. So we kind of like <laughs> met there and yeah. had that unspoken like, okay, you're cool. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I had a really good experience at culinary school, but at the same time, you know, I don't recommend people go to culinary school. Neither um, do I. Yeah. You know, I yeah. and had a really good time. We met a lot of friends and, you know, we have mm-hmm. Jacques Papin walking around the school as our, That's awesome. as our dean. And then, but for the amount of money, like you can get the same amount of experience oh, yeah. working in a restaurant, which I already had at that point. So, oh yeah. you know, it was definitely the first time in my life that I like was proud of something, but at the same time, I had a really big head start from the other people in the, in the class. Yeah. 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 Did you, did you guys learn some techniques that you feel are valuable still today? I mean, I just started in food trailers and kind of worked my way up to fine Mm -hmm. dining. So I didn't really get that experience, but do you feel that the things you did learn kind of sustained you a while or have you outgrown them, I guess? I think definitely having the hands-on experience of working in a restaurant um, while in culinary school, because they had a, they had their own restaurant set up and that was part of your last one or two months is you work an actual service for actual guests and stuff like that. I think I definitely benefited from that because as like a snot-nosed kid going to culinary school, you kind of think you're tough shit and then you go out into the real world and you get your ass kicked for a little while. For we real, got to yeah. get our asses kicked before we went out into the real world. So <laughs> I think okay. I definitely benefited from that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what were your your first jobs? Did you guys both go straight into fine dining? We both went different directions, I would say. I definitely... When we were fresh out of school, I was like, I want to work at the best places, blah, blah, blah. Um, I ended up working with still one of the best people I've ever worked for. His name's Sean Rembold. um, And he actually had gone to the same school 
and had the same uh, chef instructors that we had. And I met him at the, uh, there's like a little job fair that they used to do. Um, okay. So I ended up helping them open a restaurant in Brooklyn while we were still um, at school. And that was probably the most difficult six months of my life was, you know, a non-cooking job on the weekends, a cooking job after school, and then going to school Monday to Friday. Holy shit. Like that's, eight that's to crazy. three, something like that. Um, eight to yeah. three AM. <laughs> yeah, that you that's what you mean? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but just immediately went to like hot high volume, fine dining, um, worked at a couple different places in New York and then moved out to California. Yeah. My journey was very different. I kind of, in everything that I do, uh, I kind of have a little bit of ADD as far as uh, finding a focus as to what I want to do exclusively. Like, I'm just so excited to learn in pretty much any environment. So I took on a lot of different positions at different restaurants at the same time just to kind of get different techniques down. And definitely more of a casual rather than fine dining setting. I mean, I did the fine dining scene in New York City for a while, but it just didn't mm. really suit my lifestyle to kind of just be that person who just cooks for rich people all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I geared yeah. towards more of like casual seasonal comfort food type places and things like that. And coming out of culinary school, I actually worked backwards a little bit because I was the general manager of a coffee shop. While I was putting myself through culinary school. Okay. So after nice. I was done in school, I actually shifted into like a menu development role at that particular coffee shop. And so it was just okay. like my first role was like an admin role and an R&D role, which is really <laughs> That's... Crazy, straight out of Yeah, yeah. Because really, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you just know what's yeah. in the textbook at that point. Yeah. How did you, how did you feel in that role? Did you feel like... Um... Did you, did you, did you feel confident and like capable or would you, were you kind of like struggling the whole time? Oh, hell no. I was definitely Googling a lot of things in the wall. <laughs> oh, do that. I mean, yeah. their first uh, yeah, for sure. Industry. You definitely have to do a lot yeah. of Googling, a lot of YouTubing and stuff like that, calling friends and things like that. But it's really yeah. the best way to learn is like under fire because it's just it's you know do or die so you kind of feel a little bit more motivated than the people who are actually prepared for the role able to put in the time like those 8 a.m to 3 a.m shifts and stuff like that only in your 20s will you have that energy for sure yeah yeah but it was uh it was definitely something i benefited from because going into more cooking roles after that i had more empathy for the front of house staff which really helped get me by <laughs> get yeah. me out of yeah. safety myself yeah. and you know it, it's yeah. definitely coming in handy now now that we're doing this tour yeah yeah i just yeah buried myself in in the new york city line cook lifestyle like drinking a lot never sleeping, working way too much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like studying cookbooks and shit. Like I did not think about anything else for way. That's wild. And it had, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. didn't, did you end up getting to the point where you burnt out? Is that why you ended up moving to uh, LA or were you, was it, was it more of like a focused kind of transition? Um, I feel like you moved to LA to work more. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> yeah, I found a 
I found myself, I got promoted way too quickly, I think, as a, as a cook. And I, you know, two and a half, three years out of culinary school, I'm the, you know, head chef of a wow. uh, restaurant on the Michelin guide. You know, we didn't have a star. We had whatever they used to call it, the bib gourmand or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I had free reign with the food, with the money that was being spent. I was like, Damn. this is fun, I guess. But at a certain point, like you need to tell, you need someone to tell you that you're, you're doing the wrong things or you're doing the right things. And I had no sort of mentorship at all. So, yeah, so you're just kind of feeling your way around. Definitely. It seems like both of you guys were kind of doing that. You kind of just like finding your way around that, that yeah. chef role or that management role. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I definitely uh, had my fair share of burnout too. Um, I think that's why a lot of people leave New York City, probably. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was right. the I was the chef of a restaurant and multiple locations, and having to pop back and forth and stuff. It's just like your your life just becomes your work, and it's definitely a role that I fall into yeah. easily, uh, kind of naturally. Um, yeah. So I kind of shifted towards just. Um, agriculture like i just became really really excited by like agriculture and sourcing things locally and stuff like that and at the time it wasn't something that was really popular so it was kind of like a big step but what i did was i just quit all of my chef jobs and i started traveling through wolf uh and volunteering on farms and that's how i connected with andy again that's amazing. Wait, so did you guys keep in contact the whole time uh, when you were in? No, not really. No, not at all. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, she came to yeah. my place once, I think. Yeah, I think uh, really we, and we ate at each other's restaurants, and that was about it. It's just like I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Was New York like a good place to learn? I mean, I've, I've never actually been, but you know, I, I keep up with the restaurant scene as best I can. Is that a good place to learn about agriculture? Do the farms sort of integrate into the, the restaurant scene pretty well, or is it pretty segregated by like, you know, delivery companies and things like that? It's pretty segregated, or at least in the, this was eight, eight or nine years ago, but yeah. eight or nine years ago, it was pretty segregated. Like, you would really have to work a little bit harder to source from farms. Um, and you really? had to work with a restaurant that was really into being able to do that for you. Yeah. I, it's a lot more expensive. Yeah. I, I was uh, okay. sourcing direct yeah. from farms whenever I could. And then eventually when my restaurant became a bit more corporate uh, due to expanding very quickly, I no longer had yeah. that luxury. And then it was just ordering things from like chef's warehouse and Cisco and stuff. And Yeah. I think yeah. that's kind of what pushed me personally away yeah. from it is just seeing things arrive into part in boxes all the time and just shuffling people yeah. in an executive role. And then out here in LA, it's like the opposite. Yeah. You know, there's, now we're yeah. There's, you know, <laughs> know. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amazing produce all year yeah. round. You know, there's a guy at the end of the street where we live. Yeah. Grows on different kinds of like tropical fruits yeah, in his like front yard. Yeah, and stuff <laughs> in his front yard. <laughs> So. That's crazy. That's insane. Different out here. Yeah. So, uh, Andy, did when you went to LA? Did what was the first place you uh, you worked at? Uh, the only place I worked at in LA oh. was Rustic Canyon. Yeah. Really? So that was the first place. Did you did you go, go there gunning for that place, or did it sort of just happen? Yeah. When I had that restaurant in New York, I got in touch, um, got a stage 
flew out on my own dime, uh, was offered a job and basically quit and moved out within five weeks, I would say. Damn. Um, that was the first time I had ever been to LA. So it was really just like, I need something uh-huh. new and different. And I know I'm going to focus on work. So it doesn't really matter where it is. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it just seemed like the restaurant stood for things that I really found interesting and believed in, which it kind of ties back in with the agriculture. Yeah. Truly like a farm to table restaurant, you know, yeah. from within 50 miles, whenever possible, like it was a totally different ball game. And I was there for eight years. So yeah. very he, good. he was there for two years before I came out to LA. Yeah. yeah. And it was that when you were wolfing? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, kind of, wolfing yeah. is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's the worldwide yeah. organized organic farms situation. Um, yeah. And my first stop was going to be volunteering on a farm for a month in Malibu. And I'd never been to California. No. So I just kind of flew out here on a whim, crashed at some friends' houses in the, while I was preparing for this big trip reconnected yeah. with Andy because he was one of the only people I knew out here and I hadn't really <laughs> seen him much since culinary school. And I was volunteering yeah. on this little Meyer lemon orchard up in the canyons and rustic Canyon wasn't too far from there. So I stodged for a day and we reconnected and the yeah. rest is history. Let <laughs> <laughs> me come and, and uh, help out on the farm for a couple of days. And yeah, it's just been kind of a whirlwind since then. Yeah, lived in a teepee yeah. for a little while together, just after not seeing each other for, you know, 12 years. <laughs> it's it's a cool up... fall in love. <laughs> or yeah, a for sure. So, yeah. yeah, we reconnected, and then the farm asked us if we were interested in staying indefinitely. And I think we were both in such a transitionary period um, in our careers. Like, I just left my chef mm-hmm. job. I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing. I just knew that I wanted to be more connected to food and in a different way, just change the dialogue with food. And Andy, I think, was looking yeah. for a change. And that was the first time he left Rustic. <laughs> and we just lived on that, okay. that little farm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, And that was in California, that, that little farm? Yep, Malibu. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What is wolfing like? I've, I've, I've like romanticized it and thought about it all my life, but I never really pulled the trigger on it. And yeah, <laughs> well, it seems amazing. Work trade. It's pretty much, um, yeah. you volunteer for a fixed amount of time doing a fixed role on a farm or a vineyard of some sort, or sometimes it's just a homestead or ranch. And in exchange, you get like three square meals a day you get to learn about farming and they put you up. And sometimes the housing is glamorous and you stay in the house and there's air conditioning. And other yeah. times, uh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, yeah. Andy, when Andy picked me up from New York City, because I had to go back and get all my stuff, obviously, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. he drove across the country and picked me up and we decided to wolf the entire route between New York City and California to come back to that little farm that we ended up living on. And some oh, of the places awesome. we stayed were really wild. Like uh, there was this guy in Tennessee who was Carlos Santana's like uh, drum <laughs> okay. designer. He designed okay. drums for his, you know, bongo player right. and stuff. <laughs> and so we lived in his oh, wood awesome. shop off grid for like a week and a half. What, what was he growing? He, he was, was. They were growing everything for themselves. Like yeah. they had a, 
okay. a little garden that provided all different kinds of vegetables. They had a wild horse That's that awesome. just like ran across the property. <laughs> there was a goat, there were guinea hen, Cornish hen, like there were just all sorts of just animals kind of just yeah. doing their own thing. That's crazy. No fences or anything. That place was crazy. And that was crazy. And <laughs> we got to learn a lot about farming really quickly doing that. And he also taught us how to make a bowl out of wood. <laughs> so, that was cool. so there's all these little surprises depending on what farms you stay on. Sometimes it's just yeah. great manual labor and other times it's more of like a communal experience where you guys get to break bread together and, you know, being chefs, it was nice to be able to mm-hmm. cook for the people who grew the food. And it kind of just like changed our perspective and we yeah, started to sure. look at food more for the ingredients as opposed to what we wanted to make things taste like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. I was just going to ask, like, did you feel like that gave you sort of like a more of a connection to actually seeing the ingredient as like a whole item as opposed to something that's just comes in broken down, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. when you're out there breaking your back in the sun, you are more likely to want to use every little bit of that carrot that you were farming. And so there was sure, definitely yeah. a great uh, appreciation. And that's definitely where the whole food conservation in the kitchen thing started to click for us. And I think that it just started gathering moss, you know, as we went along <laughs> in our farming journey and stuff like that. Now we make things yeah. take more like themselves for the most part. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, um, did you guys have like a trajectory in mind or did, like you said, like it kind of found you along the way or were you sort of going for a certain type of food? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, definitely not ever trying to to uh, put ourselves in a box. Yeah, we, we, we have a hard <laughs> yeah. time putting ourselves in the box, which works against us and works for us in a lot of ways. But I think that um, now we cook with more of a sense of curiosity as opposed to more of an ambition, like I want to do this thing. And instead Mm -hmm. we leave ourselves open to, you know, the ingredients, what we have, where we're cooking, who we're cooking for. And everything's just kind of loosey goosey. It's frustrating to some of our host chef friends because, (laughs) you know, I think that the, the normal way to go about cooking for an event at, you know, a reputable restaurant is to plan the menu out months in advance. And we're just yeah. like, we don't do that. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. we got to go to the farmer's market two days before the dinner yeah. so that we can figure yeah. out the menu. But I, I mean, um, the whole woofing trip definitely triggered another kind of domino effect for us. That is now definitely a main ingredient in slow burn for sure. And that's the barter system. <laughs> so because we were doing work trade and it was working out so well when we noticed that a lot of farms would trade produce and eggs and proteins and stuff with each other, we kind of do that a lot in our work life now. Yeah. So it's been kind of cool. We'll like reach out uh, on Instagram or to other chefs and foragers in the area and say, whatever you've got, we want, we'll trade you for tickets to the dinner or we'll pay you. Um, and so our menus are kind of equal parts, you know, what we want to cook and what's locally available and what's like the foragers surprise us with. So yeah. it's nice. That's really awesome. So you guys are just coming up with stuff on, on the spot. Yeah. I mean, we have our, um, we play like the our, hits. our staples. <laughs> yeah, we play yeah. the hits when they want them. Um, it's, and then kind of adapted around the ingredients that you get. That kind the of thing. ingredients and also the yeah. space. Yeah. So we did you know, 
are very good friends of ours have a restaurant in San Francisco called Osito that is 100% uh, live fire cooking, no gas, no nice. electricity. So we had awesome. to change, you know, change our plan of attack there a little bit. But now we have a better understanding of cooking over the fire. And we also like, we take pieces from that when we're planning our own restaurant now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if we are yeah. cooking on the coast, there's definitely a lot of seafood, a lot of seaweed, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we're really big into whether things are ethically sourced and stuff like that. So sometimes that limits us to certain ingredients. So we lean heavily on the larder a lot of times um, when we're traveling on the road in the States. In Canada, that was a different story. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. we found some really cool chefs that we were able to source things from their larder too. Um, so it's been really fun. We've cooked over both fire and ice this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you guys do you guys have a collection of like ferments that you travel with or that you're planning on traveling with? Or is it is it yeah. all just from the barter system there? We um a little bit of both, but we hitch a trailer to our Subaru. We okay. have a Subaru hybrid. Uh, that's why we travel through our car. It's just easier to control our offset that way. Um, and then we pack all of our larder ingredients and some kitchen equipment that we feel like we can't live without. Uh, it's basically like that old party game where they ask the question, if you were on a desert island and you could only yeah. bring three things, well, yeah. that's every single gig that we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to a new kitchen. We're working with a new crew. We're the mm -hmm. only thing that's consistent, you know, so it's just we keep ourselves flexible to change and yeah. stuff like that. Again, there's uh -huh. chaos, but we're kind of controlling it. Trying. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is it just you guys or do you get help, sort of volunteer help from people in those kitchens? Yeah, it depends on where we are. If we're local, we have a pastry chef, Erica, that I worked with at Rustic and she just like fits our mold very very well so we always try to have erica come but we also always try to offer you know the day to the cooks or the chefs that work at the restaurant that we're popping up at yeah we we have some people in the bay area that are definitely on our like call first list but part of the fun of this is just exposing ourselves to different perspectives and different styles of cooking and that yeah, means working with sure. different people and, you know, it's a toss up sometimes because we are a small business and we only, you know, take on as much staff as we actually need. We don't accept stages. Uh, people are always paid for their work. So sometimes that means we we can't necessarily hire people. Um, but, yeah, that's just kind of how we operate. And what we do is we kind of give priority to any of the restaurants that we're cooking at. Any of their staff that wants to work with us gets priority and they get hired first. Oh, that's and awesome. If there's anything left yeah. over, we have people who've emailed us in the past that like I keep in a folder yeah. or we just like do an Instagram blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'd, I'd like to actually hear how you guys built up to this idea. Because I mean, if you, Andy, if you started at Rustic eight years ago and then you were wolfing at the same time, like how did that, did you guys, how did your journey through the restaurants kind of lead to you to this, this very new restaurant restaurant style, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Tiff has actually been doing this for longer than, than we have been doing this together. We kind of... Oh, uh, really? Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'll take it away. Uh, so we started <laughs> as Uprooted as our working title in 2017 yeah. um, when we first connected and we were doing oh. that farming tour across the country. 
to settle on okay. that little farm in Malibu uh, indefinitely. And so Uprooted was just us putting together recipes um, on each farm that we stayed on. We cooked utilizing only the ingredients we had, and we just kind of kept track of them. And the idea was to kind of combine all of these different recipes into something. TBD on that. But (laughs) um, eventually when we got back to California and it was the in-between time um, before Andy went back to Rustic, we were doing dinners out on the farm. And we were cooking outdoors. I built an outdoor kitchen with the help of a carpenter and some manual labor from Andy. (laughs) And uh, we had like intimate anywhere from two to 20 people dinners out in the Meyer lemon orchard. Um, So there was kind of always a connection to agriculture there because we were composting, we were planting seeds for ingredients that we planned to use, we were foraging for ingredients. We were cooking over fire for the most part over there too. So just very, very much at one with the property, I guess. And then Andy went back to Rustic and he took over as chef there, uh, took on a stronger role. And I started working more. I've opened a bunch of restaurants as a consultant chef. And then I've also been doing a lot of outdoor um, events and things like that. So mine is more, my style of cooking is more production geared and his style of cooking is very much like a la carte restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So slowly (laughs) as we started to, you know, kind of figure out what our sound was as a chef couple, as opposed to what our sound was separately as chefs working together, uh, Slogan was born. We rebranded ourselves, I guess, eight years (laughs) later. Yeah. And we decided, like, you know, what if the larder was just what we based everything on? What if we started with the garbage instead of starting with the good stuff? And so it's just like cooking, cooking, (laughs) cooking, utilizing the ingredients that are usually overlooked. And so we kind of plan these events close together so that the waste from one event can get fermented just in time to use for the next one. And so that's kind of like... Yeah. The beauty of this tour, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the hardest part yeah. about it is that we're traveling and we're never in the same place for very long. So fermenting in, you know, unpredictable the car, the car at points. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's not a stable environment, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making, making miso and putting it in the U-Haul. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. It's we get pretty punk rock yeah it's pretty punk rock everybody thinks we have like a staff that works with us we get people applying to work with us all the time and i'm like it's not what you think it's very very (laughs) like a diy like punk rock like we smell terrible we're shoved in the subaru with two dogs like our larders in you know upcycled boxes in the back of like a rented u-haul hitch that we strap to the back of the car (laughs) you know yeah it's a lot of like weird shady dealings with Airbnb hosts and things like that, <laughs> but it always seems to work out. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty weird. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been cool. I mean, that's what it said. That's what it seemed like to me. Like when you guys announced your, your tour, your world, world tour, I was like, holy shit, this is like, this is like a band going yeah. on tour. It's like, yeah. we're going to go out and pack up a van and just fucking like that's, tear shit up. You know, yes, yeah. just, Figure it out, DIY style. Yeah. To some old punk shit. Yeah. Where we're at. Everybody <laughs> pile into the Subaru. It's time to make some snacks. <laughs> the last, I would say the last like four months, five months. Yeah. Shit. I know. Um, we yeah. work like 
really fucking hard for like 10 days from the moment we wake up till the moment we go to sleep. And then we're able to kind of decompress and take take, three weeks uh, off, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's been a very different lifestyle than working in a restaurant. Yeah. The same highs and lows that a touring band goes through, I'm sure. Yeah, right. You guys only get like your... And and being the tour manager at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of punk bands have done that. You guys are... uh, I like that uh, you're, you're bringing that to the food scene. What 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 was the impetus for the idea? Do you guys was it something that's slow or were you just like, you know what, let's just fucking do it up like a like a like a band? I mean, I mean for a thing restaurant. slow burn. I mean definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Um, no. Me, I like strongly believe that I don't want to seem all gloom and doom, but like the restaurant industry in its form now cannot exist much longer. I completely agree. Exactly. You look at, the news, you know, climate change, whatever, like something needs to change. And yeah, we didn't want to take on any sort of investors and try to open this like state of the art, you know, zero waste brick and mortar restaurants. We were like, how can we do this with the money, the little money that we have saved up and do it the right way. And also like have fun and travel. I've never been, anywhere in my life i've always just worked so yeah we knew that this touring around is not going to be forever mm-hmm. so we we know that we're working towards something and going to all these different restaurants we're learning things that we like and we're learning things that we don't like and we literally just have a list going of like when that time comes and we're going to open something I've never had a clear picture of what that would be in my head until yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, um, that's we, we, especially Andy, after, you know, working in the food scene out here, we've been offered a lot of investorships and things like that. People yeah. who want to invest in whatever re- restaurant we would like to do, as long as it's in LA or as long as it's this or as long as it's, it's that. And by the end, it's just like your mission is so diluted that it's almost unrecognizable. Yeah, right. And there have been a lot of times where we've gotten really close to getting investors to open our own thing. And the second they hear, you know, people over profit or planet over profit and things like that, they, they think they say it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's impossible. You can't do this and be a business. And so Slowburn was also born equal parts resentment. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I like that. That's very punk rock as well. Like, fuck saying, you guys. Well, you know what? Yeah. Fuck you. We're going to make lots of money. Yeah. And we're going to spend it in the right places. And we're going to we're going to do it with very little seed money. I mean, we started Slowburn with two thousand dollars. That's and awesome. Yeah. We are a profitable business. We're able to pay ourselves. Our business has zero debt, and we're six months down the line, and. You know, we're still looking good. We're still feeling confident about, you know, all of all of our missions. And you know, we haven't really had to do much compromise. And we still have eight months booked out ahead of us. So it's looking pretty That's good. Yeah. yeah. I think you guys are looking great. And then yeah. when they do want to invest in us, we can say, okay, we can do things our way. Because here's the <laughs> P&L from last year. And I can show you yeah. that we can be a profitable business without destroying <laughs> you know, destroying yeah. the planet in the process. But we try yeah. to keep a lot of that mission kind of in the background when we're cooking at, you know, our events and stuff like that. 
We only provide as much information as people want to know. We want it to feel very inclusive and approachable. Nobody should feel shamed about, you know, food waste or anything like that. We're just. Yeah, that's kind of been from the beginning, too. She just touched on it, but we never want to be like, oh, these guys are coming to cook in town and have someone just assume that they can't afford it. You know, I. Mm -hmm we don't have a lot of money. Like we don't go out to eat all the time because of that. So we never want to be a part of that problem either, but we have to tread the line of, you know, acknowledging that. And also, you know, what we do costs a lot of money. Like we need to be able to charge accordingly. So what yeah. we've done is, is, you know, we'll do a tasting menu um, with a higher ticket price, but then we'll turn around and do an a la carte menu at a bar with, lower prices or we'll do like a sandwich during the day and yeah we try to keep everything financially and culturally inclusive because again we can't afford to eat at any like michelin star restaurant or anything like that so why would we roll through town and say like hey give me two hundred dollars so that i can give you a 10 course tasting menu that you didn't really want exactly so we do like a lot of incentives for people in the industry we try to keep it balanced by doing some of those lower brow pop-ups where it's sandwiches and shit we give a lot of tickets we give a lot of tickets away Uh, i think we give away like 25 percent of our tickets for all of our events pretty much um and we also barter with farmers and stuff like that so we trade for ingredients so a lot of the people who are eating our food are actually eating it for free or the cost of like wild mushrooms or something (laughs) and then we don't accept gratuity because it's out of date and it just needs to go yes it is yeah for sure instead people are offered the opportunity to donate a meal to a stranger um or they can donate a snack or a dessert or a drink and what we do is we give those away at the next event oh that's awesome yes that's a really good idea there's a little qr code that Tiff puts in the gift bags or something and the QR code will have a, a link to the Spotify playlist that we put together for every dinner is different. Every oh, awesome. um, yeah. And then also that option to, you know, donate a certain amount of money so that the next time we have an event, we can do a little post on Instagram and be like, Hey, we have two tickets to give away. Um, oh, that's awesome. And really, really cool. Yeah. It's been really yeah. nice to see the perpetual kindness uh, kind of taken on tour. Uh, we from, yeah. our, from our last event, I think we have like three full tickets to tasting menus. We can give away two desserts, a couple of snacks, and definitely a lot of drinks. So it's always nice to roll into town and say like, we're doing this event, but we would like to just cordially invite anybody who feels they can't afford it to just like shoot us a message and we'll put them on the wait list. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been I've been talking about this a lot on this podcast, but like I think the old restaurant model is has got to be dying. I mean, yeah. I, I've I work at a fine dining establishment in Austin that does a tasting menu, and I can't afford to eat at the restaurant I work yeah. twelve hours a day at. You know what I mean? Yeah. So something's definitely got to got to change. And uh, yeah, when I first found you guys, I'm like I'm like this is this is amazing because most people don't really know they don't really care about food waste, and then on top of that, they don't know how delicious it is like we use a lot of food waste product at at my restaurant uh and and it's and it's incredible it, it makes for way better like dishes it adds like dynamics to it to every dish it's like it's incredible and most people don't really know about it do you guys find that you're like sort of i, I this may not be like part of what you guys do but do you find that you're sort of like 
educating people or like enlightening people to something they've never really uh, seen before? I think it's, um, I think we're just giving it a new, I guess we're just giving it a little more exposure. Uh, like you said, yeah. we're doing this at your restaurant. A lot of restaurants that we go to are doing it as well. And yeah. like I said, I think being in larger cities, we're also kind of spoiled in that sense where we have the luxury to do things like recycle and stuff like that. And as we travel across the country, we see mm -hmm. certain things are of the norm and certain things are not. And so that's really interesting. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of cool to kind of just plan yeah. things from the garbage up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as far as changing the restaurant industry, it's, it's hard to be on your own when you do that. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Know, there's all, all, you know, everyone knows there's all these systems in place at every yeah. restaurant and just, change one little thing is aggravating to the staff so yeah it's to gotta go to, through like 12 people too. To try to change yeah. everything from the bottom up i think that's why we were just like fuck it let's, let's start, start with, from scratch start with nothing and let's not marry ourselves to a specific concept let's not marry ourselves to a specific way of doing things yeah this tour isn't about us like trying to you know promote what we do and and get people to prevent food waste it's really selfishly for us to learn like just to kind of act as a fly on the wall of these kitchens that we're also cooking in and see if they're doing anything that's different and through conversation we just kind of figure out like oh i really and like andy was saying we have like a running list it's like they're really doing things right they're doing this this and that maybe we should do it too that's amazing. and then we yeah. change we change up what we do at every tour stop because we're like, oh man, what they were doing is way better than what we were doing as far as like logistics is concerned. Let's switch it up. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's, that's kind of the beauty of uh, Instagram and stuff. If people are willing to kind of uh, put their, what they're doing online, it spreads. I mean, I, you're definitely like having an impact by just sort of doing what you're doing and then, you know, being transparent about it. Uh, did you guys like feel like, is it, it's gotta be strange, like sort of on your own food journey and then having thousands and thousands and thousands of people looking what you're doing. Do you guys sort of feel that as you're posting stuff or working or any of that stuff? Cause you guys, you guys are definitely making an impact and definitely like have influence. Sometimes, um, I think I've gotten used to it a little bit and <laughs> okay. I like, don't want to sound like a dick. You know? <laughs> yeah. The feeling that you get sometimes is like, oh, I want to share this with people. Okay. Right. Yeah. And it's like Instagram is just a tool for sure that lets us do that on a much larger scale. And that's how I try to look at it. I personally like really wish that I didn't have to have Instagram anymore. Like it's just. Yeah. It's taken a toll on me. Yeah. Um, in, in what way? In, in what way do you mean that? Just, you know, feeling like it needs to be a part of your life. It's like, like another job. To, For sure. Yeah, you yeah. have to post something. Yeah. If it's not well received on the, on the platform, then you're just like beating yourself up. Yeah. But at the same time, that's the only way that we have advertised and booked yeah. and yeah. documented our our travels. Yeah. Um, Most of what we do is organically advertised through word of mouth and things like that. Um, we do a lot of pre-releases where we just don't even tell people that we release tickets. We'll just tell a couple of our friends and they'll tell a couple of their friends. Yeah. And the next thing you know, we'll pull it out. Um, 
So that's been pretty cool. Um, It's just kind of, I don't know. My imposter syndrome really itches right now. So thank you for saying all those (laughs) nice things about us. Um, But yeah, we don't get used to it, but it's nice to know that people are watching because people should be holding us accountable. And I think I always in my head, I'm like, all right, we have to make sure that we do this exactly the way that we said we would do it. And we need to hold ourselves accountable because people are watching us for sure. And that's why we're really honest about our journey too. When something's not working out, we're definitely very vocal about it too. So it's kind of nice to have that open exchange with people on social media. Like here's what we're learning. Here's what we've decided to scrap. Yeah. Because I think so many people in the industry kind of keep those secrets really close. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty shitty. Yeah. (laughs) And we should all be kind of, sharing ideas yeah that's what makes uh, it like so good. information yeah yeah like what are you gonna do bury me with my recipes like i don't need them <laughs> yeah yeah it's much better to get that out there and then like somebody might have a, a better idea or a better way of doing it or and that's the beauty of working in kitchens i mean if the yeah. second you start doing something somebody's like you know there's a better way to do that and then you can either learn or you can just be stubborn and you know not listen but that's the beauty of instagram yeah. i mean that's it's kind of our, our move when we go to a new place is like, we'll tell them what we're prepping and, you know, we'll say, here's what we would normally do, but if you have how, a better one. how do you guys do it? So, you know, so even if we don't like it, we'll do it our way or whatever, mm-hmm. but we learn, you know, there's so many techniques and recipes that you're not going to find in a cookbook. For sure. You know, it's just like, this place has been doing it this way and I've never seen that before. Like I might steal that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not stealing. It's like yeah. a trade, you know, it makes yeah, it man. feel less icky to just have people that you have an open dialogue with. So it's been really cool, especially on social media. Cause we do reach out whenever we need things like hands in the kitchen, or if we need to be connected with a company that will pick up our compost and things like that in all of these different States around the country and like having social media, and having people who are watching and willing to help us out has been really cool. And also shout out to all the people who buy all our merch because <laughs> when we're having those in-between moments where we're freaking out about money yeah. and like what our next move is going to be, them buying stuff from our larder or Dude, buying merch awesome. keeps us going for weeks. Dude, t-shirts paid the rent in October. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah, so. I don't think I've seen any Yeah. That's awesome. Are you guys bringing merch on the on the tour? Are you guys gonna have a little merch table like a band, like a band? We uh, we we work with a company that does on demand printing, so there's I do no the waste. Same in thing, effect. yeah. That's awesome. It's cheaper. It's yeah. It's cheaper. It's yeah. way better. It's like instead of having boxes and boxes of yeah stuff that you may not sell, yeah, you just because yeah. it's great. I bet in the band where you had to bring all the boxes and <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. makes the car heavier. It guzzles gas more when you do that. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like it's beneficial all around. And also we get to like help support another small business by doing that. And they make all of our merch out of either organic cotton or they make it out of recycled water bottles. So oh, that's awesome! It's like it's like another way for us to control something that's very difficult to control on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to front thousands of dollars to get yeah. shirts. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, yeah. We, we charge how much we charge, and then that company sends us the difference after costs. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, have the, I kind of have the same setup, but that's awesome. Um, well, 
over the last like few years, what sort of like, I don't want to bad mouth restaurants or anything like that, but like what sort of negative sides did you guys kind of feel you're reacting to now? If it is even a reaction, like you're working in kitchens, right? And there's something that sort of rubbed you the wrong way or that you felt like you could do better. Um, I'm just curious what those things are because I'm very curious about how people view restaurants and why well, why they sort of decide to change up their 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 life. My biggest gripe is with corporate restaurants for sure. You know, everything's yeah. I don't want to talk shit either, but <laughs> it's you know if if they're not being wasteful at the restaurant, it's being wasteful somewhere else. Whether it's shipping all of the mise en place via airplane or yeah. or truck. Um, as opposed to just sourcing locally. We've actually found that a lot of the independent kind of mom and pop restaurants yeah. are really awesome and already doing what we're talking about, at least to an extent. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, whenever I whenever I do residencies at my friend's restaurant out in Montana, that's on our tour for late April. Mm-hmm. Um, there's usually just people from town, like hobby farmers and hunters and things like that, that will literally just pop into the back door in the kitchen and say, yeah. hey, I have all these garlic scapes, or I have this elk. Um, I want a, a nice bottle of wine. I'll trade you these wild mushrooms for this nice bottle of wine. Okay, you got yourself a deal. Yeah. You know, So uh, it's it's been kind of cool to learn that a lot of mom and pop restaurants are, are kind of doing it right. It's really just big corporate. Yeah, and um, I mean... COVID really was like, with the, the hatred of corporate restaurants, it was just like, okay, everybody wants to be paid more because they're essential workers and all the corporations can afford to just make that change. And everybody else is just kind of left, you know, in the dust and all the problems, not all, but a lot of the problems that we see are because of this, like, you know, corporate culinary monsters that just want to you know, make as much profit as possible that create issues within the agriculture industry. Yeah. That, you know, just simply sourcing locally in the back of someone's like a line cooks truck or something. <laughs> yeah. Just easier and you're more connected to where you are. And yeah. It's just sad. Yeah. And I just get. Yeah, it is. Like, um, I've worked at a lot of local restaurants that have had a hard time getting people after COVID because, like, there's corporate restaurants that are, you know, um, paying five hundred, a thousand dollars for bonuses and things like that, and they suffer. And then on top of that, it's like, um, I don't know if you guys have felt this, but like the overexpansion of restaurants. They just yeah, sort sure. of grow, and then they get another restaurant, and they keep expanding, expanding, expanding. And it 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 has speaking of grapes. That's mine. Yes, that's, that's yours. Yeah, that's my biggest yeah. gripe for sure. It's like it's like big restaurant groups controlling the the food culture of an entire neighborhood. That that for me, mm. it's just like, well, there should be plenty of room for everybody. It's just weird to just come in and open like ten restaurants in a couple of years, all under the same umbrella. Like, yeah, it just the market's just way oversaturated for that, and especially for, sure. for labor. Yeah, we're having the same problem in Austin. There's so much money flooding in. There's like corporations coming in and there's like also local restaurant groups that open up two to three restaurants a year and it's it's too much. It's really too much. There's no focus on any sort of farmer support or local support or or on the actual workers. It's just like 
it's just keep, keep working. Like we need more workers. It's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I think it was like a couple months after we reopened, after we shut the restaurant down for two months Ru- in 2020. Rustic Canyon. I remember the Dunkin' Donuts yeah. across the street. Do you have Dunkin' Donuts? In oh yeah. Texas? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember the Dunkin' Donuts across the street from the restaurant put up a big banner, like now hiring, <laughs> yeah. starting at $19 an hour. And I'm like looking at my cooks and they see the sign and I'm just like, I am doing my best. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, definitely kitchen yeah. culture and how we work with our staff is something very different from other restaurants that we've been at. Not saying that everybody's been doing a bad job, no, but no. just we've decided to take it a different direction. Mm-hmm. For the most part, like our staff that comes on, like pastry chefs and stuff like that, who are doing like a larger bulk of the work are paid based on their work, not based on the hours that they work. So if we're doing an event um, and we make X amount of dollars, that person is making a percentage of the net sales. They're not making like an hourly wage. Oh, that's awesome. like- Profit sharing almost. Yeah, yeah, we do almost like profit sharing as opposed to an hourly wage. There have been some occasions that we do an hourly wage just because we know that it would make them more money as opposed to getting a percentage because yeah. we don't always break even, we, even though we would like to, and that shouldn't have to affect our employees. But we've tried out a bunch of different pay models and stuff like that. And so that's a big one that we're doing differently than yeah. a lot of restaurants that we've worked at. Yeah. And also, I don't think anybody feels like they work for us, which is something that I'm proud no, of. We always try to keep it as collaborative as possible while still being the ones making decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Like people come to us with questions, but for the most part, we trust them in their skill set to just kind of do their own thing and, you know, just tell them like, we're here if you need anything. Our menus are usually blind tasting menus. So it's just like, if it doesn't work out, we'll just fucking take it off the menu and eat it for family. (laughs) Yeah. um, We try to keep it like a really casual environment. So everybody feels the safety to fail because it's not necessarily failure. It just becomes another fermenter (laughs) family meal or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, So generally I think people like working with us, which is something that we kind of build our events on because mm-hmm. we want everybody to have a good time down to the person who's like lending us their space or the people who are, you know, bringing us food. If there's room for them at the table, they could come if, you know, they're one of our vendors or something like that. So just kind of making everybody feel involved as opposed to everybody just coming in and doing a job. Yeah. That's really awesome. I mean, it seems like you guys are just learning as you go, which I think is a better yeah. model than just saying like, we're trying to change the world. I don't know. <laughs> you know, Yeah, we're not trying to change the yeah. world. We're just trying to make better decisions for ourselves yeah. and hopefully down the line that can benefit other people when we decide what our brick and mortar is going to be and where it's going to be and stuff like that. So, so you guys do yeah. see this sort of translating over to a brick and mortar at some point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, we have traveling, very different deciding <laughs> um, personalities and, and work styles. And I feel like I'm not able to be creating new things if I don't have like a home base, you know? Yeah. Which would be a restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is more the one that will go to Greece tomorrow if she gets a free plane ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like my schedule and my, you know, 
my home base. Yeah. <laughs> Andy's definitely super schedule oriented and I am an organized chaos. Everything's in a Google calendar. Everything needs to get done by a certain time, but nothing's super planned. <laughs> it's just like lists of things to do and hopefully we get to them and, you know, we just kind of make it work everywhere we go, but it does become exhausting. I mean, it's a different kind of burnout. It's like a burnout that you signed up for and that you designed especially for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it definitely feels different. It's not like we're just like working for some restaurant and we're like destroying our bodies, like <laughs> trying to work so hard for somebody else to make money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we're all we're striving towards these greater goals and we're learning so much every step of the way that it's just really worth it. And hopefully a year or two from now, we can settle down and stop touring when uh, <laughs> when our bones start to ache <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what is the plan after the, after the world tour? Is that, is that the, the plan is like reevaluate and see how, uh, how a brick and mortar seems at that time, or are you guys going to keep touring yeah. until something pops up? We're going to hit 48 States, I think. Wow. Yeah. So we're kind of trying to figure out where we want to go. Cause now as of next week, or two weeks, we won't have an apartment, so we won't be tied down anymore. It's yeah, we decided sad. to just get rid of our apartment after Canada. <laughs> a, we're like, we're only move. home like three days a month, if that, yeah. and it's going to continue to be that way. We're booked until like mid-October. Uh-huh. So it's just like, why spend, you know, $3,000 a month to keep all your shit in a room that you're not even going to be sleeping in. So everything's in a storage unit except for our larder. So we're kind of like leaving our plans open-ended. A big part of this is, like Andy said, he hasn't traveled or anything really ever. And so even just like going from state to state and having these little adventures is super fun and invigorating. And then we can decide where we want to lay our heads once the tour is over. But I keep tacking dates on, so it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime (laughs) soon. Every time I tack on a date, I'm like, Andy, I know I said we weren't going to do anything in September, but I have us booked until November now. (laughs) It's a little different for me because I think I came into this burnt out. Uh Uh-huh. We had no no break, no layover between me leaving the restaurant and us starting this the next weekend. So uh-huh. I don't think I've ever fully recovered. Yeah. yeah. But I'm learning how to live like this now. Yeah. Because I was doing it a little longer. I already had a lot of infrastructure set up so that I knew once Andy was available for me, <laughs> for us to do this project that we could hit the ground running and just like, we, we, we take some time for ourselves on the road, but it's definitely pretty go, go, go as far as like administrative stuff is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are truly doing the jobs of a general manager and accountants. Yeah. 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 And Wait. Doing that with two active dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. This is like a, I guess, a final question. I was going to ask uh, Andy, why, what was the sort of buildup to, making a decision to do this. If you were in the kitchen every day doing that, what sort of made you stop that? And and what makes this the, the direction, I guess, that you wanted to go? We've always wanted to work together. We've always planned on working together. And I got into this really weird mental space where I like felt obligated to be at the restaurant and to prioritize the restaurant. Over yourself, you mean? And in my head, over myself, yeah. over everything. Um, 
I was like, that's really fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's been a really difficult transition, but I knew that it is the the right thing to do for myself in the long run. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to bury myself in restaurant work like that ever again, it's going to be our restaurant and our money as opposed to, yeah, you know, putting in hours for somebody else. Yeah. So this is definitely like at all times now in the back of our heads that's, is like, yeah, that's awesome. What, what we want our permanent location to look like. Yeah. And also it's just, you know, if we start to feel like real genuine burnout and like we're not taking care of ourselves emotionally or physically with our health or anything like that, we can always just stop. Yeah. It's yeah. not like this will just, it, like things will explode if we stop doing slow burn for a day. Everything's spaced out pretty well. Yeah. Um, and everything's pretty flexible. So if we have to cancel something, you know, it's not any employees or anybody who's affected. It's just us. So we have the flexibility to kind of make those decisions when our bodies are like, okay, that's enough. We need a break. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think... That's, that's the way it should be, <laughs> you know, cause, uh, definitely yeah. everybody feels burnout, especially when you're working, you know, 12 to 15 hour days and things like that, especially in the kitchen. So in our uh, case, you nobody's know, telling us to stop and go home too. So we'll definitely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, yeah. How do you stop yourself from working? I find myself, I have to, I have to stop myself at a certain time cause I'm just going to keep going and going and going. And then before I know it, it's, you know, yeah. nine o'clock and I haven't worked out or eaten or, you know, just taking some time to relax. So like. Do you, do you guys find yourself stopping yourselves or you just keep working? We, we've been pretty good at stopping each other. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah, when, you guys I, have each other. when I'm getting too crazy yeah. and cause I, I don't stop. I, well, I'll stop or I'll go a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. There's no in between. So if I'm doing it, I'm fucking doing it. I'm breathing <laughs> it. I'm breathing it you know? yeah. And uh, sometimes Andy will be like, why don't you just not do anything today? Try to not do anything today. That's um, a hard thing to do. And then yeah. Every while, yeah. Every once in a while, when Andy's stressed out about something, I'll, I'll take it on. Uh, our skill sets are pretty complementary. He's good at the things I'm bad at and vice versa. So being able to take that time and to say like, all right, you do this kind of just delegating to each other just being honest about what we need. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, let me, let me end with this question. What do you think? I asked my chef this the other day and he couldn't come up with an answer, which I thought was kind of interesting. Who do you guys think is like sort of your guiding force in terms of your food or the way that you, you view food? For me, it's like, you know, Danny Bowen and like Mission Chinese and, and uh, Bo Beck. But who, who do you guys sort of see as, as that? Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins. Okay. Henry Rollins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pascal That's awesome. Um, no, there's a uh, Christian Puglisi out in Copenhagen. Used to have uh, Relay, and I f yeah, follow we're both him, yeah. major major fans of his. Yeah. Um, I really love Pascal Bedar's work. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly because yeah, so. I've never heard it said out loud. Really yeah, good. I've never. He's not necessarily a chef, and I think that's why I, gra I gravitate towards it. He does okay. like a lot of wild vinegars and, oh, awesome. and just foods made from like wild ingredients and things like that. He's yeah. also big on using everything. We had the pleasure of having dinner with Doug McMasters um, 
couple of months ago when he was in town for the Mad Food Symposium here oh, in LA. Nice. He runs a, a zero waste restaurant in London called Silo. Um, okay, I'll yeah, check that and out. A lot of the stuff they're doing is pretty groundbreaking, and um, it was really interesting picking up his book because he was kind enough to send it to us um, after we met, and we realized we were all on the same page about a lot of things in the restaurant industry as far as food and the environment is related. Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to sit with his book and I kind of really admire what he's doing and his entire staff over at Silo. Hey, I'll have to check that out. That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we really answered your question, but. You, you no, know, you definitely <laughs> did. You definitely did. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we draw inspiration from a lot of people, not necessarily chefs. No, it, and yeah, that's think, what makes it so tricky. Yeah. I think it doesn't it's just, have I to be, be like, yeah. I become like uh, fixated on, on one chef for you know, a couple weeks at a time. And, and then I think I move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, uh, Jeremy Chan has a restaurant called Ikoyi in London. Um, okay. that I think for me, he's probably the most interesting one to watch right now. Okay. I'll check him out too. It's like Japanese West African food. Um, okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. It's just presentation is cooking. It's all just very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, I guess I should clarify that question for future people, but uh, it's not just, uh, I guess, cooking. Cause I, I appreciated mission Chinese cause it was trying to be a nonprofit restaurant and then also trying to utilize another restaurant space at the same time as another restaurant so that there wasn't just another restaurant. So yeah, sure. that's, it's very, it's very cool. Yeah. We actually got to we ate there nice. uh, maybe two oh, months ago. Yeah, a month or two ago. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So good. And some of my favorite things were just like a vegetable on a plate. It was like steamed cabbage and yeah. a condiment and it was the best thing we had the whole trip. Yeah. yeah. That restaurant does simple so well. They'll literally have like three ingredients in it and it's like you're like, holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, love I mean that the menu said the menu said cabbage and pistachio milk, and we don't know what it actually was, but it's one of the most delicious things I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. The place is insane. <laughs> it definitely wasn't pistachio milk. It was like something kind of tasty condiment. It was, so I can taste it right That's now. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, some other London guys, uh, what are they calling themselves now? The Black, uh, black Mangle. Axe Mangle. Oh. Yeah, the Black Axe Mangle guys. Yeah. Formerly known as Black Axe Mangle. <laughs> I've been reading this. Yeah. I already got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lee Tiernan and love, uh, from St. John. Yeah. I love that restaurant. I, I just love the the anti pretentious approach to cooking. Yes. We describe yeah. what we do as high trash a lot. <laughs> That's gotta <laughs> but, be on our shirts. You guys gotta make that on yeah. shirt. Hey, yeah, maybe we got some new work on the way. But yeah, just like that balance of just like cooking really good food but keeping it approachable and not taking yourself too seriously like i really identify with that kind of yeah um cooking style so yeah yeah and like the playlist and the music that we play during dinners definitely it's all like music and stuff like that it's awesome yeah anyone that's like helping us serve tables for the night it's like listen just like have fun you know yeah yeah it's not all it should be fun don't wear a button-up shirt or anything like that. Just be yourself, and yeah, it's been cool. Should feel like you're at uh, at your favorite band's show. Yeah, in in like a basement somewhere, yeah. but with snacks. Yeah, amazing. Like good food doesn't have to be like pretentious and like carry this like 
yeah. air of, you know, pretension to it. It could just be casual. Just, you know, people hanging For out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, I think that's yeah. a good uh, good thing to end on. I really appreciate you guys coming on, talking and stuff. It's a great conversation. Thanks, All right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. So uh, yeah, you be too. safe. Good luck finding that storage unit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Thanks Bye, so guys. Much. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Bye. Bye.